All right, I'm Cameron. I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Community Church. If you would be turning in your Bibles to John chapter 16. As you're doing that, um, this sermon is definitely connected to the sermons that we preached over Easter, um, and it's connected in the sense that the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ is critical um, to the coming of the Holy Spirit and what that means for us as God's people. Mark doesn't deal with the coming of the Holy Spirit, but John does uh, before he comes. And so I would encourage you at some point this week to take the time to read devotionally John 14 through 16. It's the most extended treatment of the Holy Spirit outside of Paul's dealing with the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. In fact, you cannot understand what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 if you have not sought, sought to understand what Jesus says of the Spirit in John 14 through 16, okay? So what we're gonna do this morning is this will not be the end all to be all sermon on the Holy Spirit. This is not going to answer every question that any of us has about the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, but what I hope to accomplish is that it would help to lay a very firm foundation for us as we try to think through some of the questions that we have and some of the questions that the Bible raises about the work of the Holy Spirit in this world and in and through the church. And so uh, consider this to be a 101 type sermon on the Holy Spirit. Um, and my hope is that what it will do is help uh, enrich our appreciation of the work of the Holy Spirit as a member of the Trinity and rightly help us to understand to whom we should pray at times. Uh, there are times that we should ask specifically for the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, is the Trinity up there going, if he doesn't get this right, we can't help him. If he didn't pray to the right person, we're just, we're hamstrung. No, the Trinity is not hamstrung by our inability to pray to the right member. However, I think it is beneficial to us for us to understand how each uh, member in the economy of redemption works so that we understand the history of redemption. And so uh, that is the hope this morning, uh, and this may raise some questions. If you're involved in a small group, you'll have the opportunity to discuss some of those. If you're not, I would encourage you to get involved in a small group uh, because what they, the small groups do is discuss the sermons, and we currently have four, and we'd like to plant more of those small groups as the Lord would allow. So uh, that's a quick plug for that. All right, so the question that I have for us straight away is what have been the greatest helps for you so far in your Christian walk? What, what has most encouraged you or helped you to grow? What was kind of indicative of a season of growth for you? What were some of the things that were going on? That's worth us kind of thinking about because uh, every one of us goes through seasons. I can't tell you how many of you I hear from uh, that, hey, I'm, in a, I'm just in a dry season. That's a common term. That's a biblical term too, by the way. Uh, because the psalmist experienced dry seasons. The prophets experienced dry seasons. Uh, all who have dealt with the gospel have experienced a season of dryness. And you may find yourself in that place now. Uh, and does that mean that God's presence has departed from you? That's an important question because I think that many of us think that if a season of dryness has come in, it's because we've done something wrong and the Lord has forsaken us. That's just not true. Actually, the Lord is faithful to keep his promises regardless of what we feel. And that's critically important. Our feelings oftentimes lead us way astray. Now, are all feelings bad? No, they're not. Sometimes they're a great gift from the Lord. 
but they must always be secondary to the promises of God. This is critical for us as his people because this is where we kind of get tangled up in the ministry of the Holy Spirit because we oftentimes tie our emotions to whether or not the Holy Spirit is at work. Now think about that for a second. Does that make any sense theologically that your emotions could limit the power of the Holy Spirit or the working of Christ or the presence of the Lord? No. In fact, one of the things that God will do, and he said he would do this to his people, is he would remove his presence to test them. Sometimes it is an act of judgment. We'll see that in the book of Hosea. But that judgment is disciplined so that we would be drawn back to him. So anytime you find yourself in a season of dryness or doubt, that is the Lord essentially saying, look back to me and to me alone for your sufficiency and your identity. I love you. Now, if we began to see those times as that and knew how the Holy Spirit was working in those times, might we find ourselves much more encouraged even when the dry seasons come because they will. So what have been the greatest helps to you during your seasons of growth, and who was really ultimately responsible for that help? Right? It was the Holy Spirit at work in you to guide you and to teach you. It was not necessarily a man. So often I think we get tied up in, well, and you'll sometimes hear this, you know, when I was sitting under so-and-so's preaching, ah, oh, I just grew. Or we tie it actually to the music. I just, man, when so-and-so plays, just right up to the throne of God, just right on in there. And I, hey, listen, I, I get it. I love it when it's obvious in here and that you can feel it. There are times you can feel it. And I struggle just like you do to kind of reorient myself at times when, when it feels dry. And all the time I want to blame somebody other than myself. I never want to kind of say, maybe, maybe the sermon wasn't good because I stayed up too late trying to make sure the warriors were going to seal the deal. Or celebrating the Hawks' great victory over the villain, John Wall. I, maybe, maybe I ate the wrong thing. I, I ate a bunch of sauces. It's not good for me. I, I did. And, and maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe I came in unexpected. Maybe I, come in, I came in this morning forgetting the promises of God. Forgetting that he said so clearly that when my people gather together in my name and break open my word, I'm there. So he's here, regardless of what we feel, regardless of the condition in which we came. And so that's important for us to remember. And it's important for us to remember that our spiritual growth is not tied to a man. It is not tied to an author. It is not tied to a podcast. It is not tied to a musician. It's not. It's tied solely to the Holy Spirit. Now, will God use particular people, men and women, Authors and musicians in unique ways, amen, he will. But we have to look past them because at some point they will fail us. They'll write that book that you read and you go, I've heard this before. You've said this like a thousand times. I'm done with this guy. Or they write a song that you're questioning. Whoa, 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 the theology is getting a little loose in the gravel here. What's going on? Right? So we all fail each other, but the Spirit does not fail us. And it's critical that we remember who's behind that. And I will tell you, in fact, for me, two of the greatest times of spiritual growth was sitting in some of the worst preaching I've ever heard in my life. And that's not, I'm not casting stones. My wife thought that as well. And she begged for us to go to another church. And I did not feel like the Lord would release us. 
And so you can't tie this to anything other than the Holy Spirit because he will use sometimes that which you, are, you struggle with for your glory, for, for your good and his glory. And so we see that again and again and again with suffering, right? So we have to be careful that we don't try to dictate what only the Spirit can do. And we don't try to give to, to other people what should only be granted to the Holy Spirit himself um, so that we can grow. And those seasons of drought don't stay as long as they should or could. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I love this quote by J.I. Packer um, because I think it puts in great perspective part of our struggle. We are so enamored with the supernatural and, and we're very enamored with, with fireworks and excitement and we're enamored with feeling. We just are. It's kind of who we are as people and it's been twisted in us in the fall. And so I think he puts it in right perspective and that's what I hope this, this sermon will help lay for a firm foundation. Listen to what he says. He says, we show a great deal more interest in the gifts of healing and tongues, gifts of which, as Paul pointed out, not all Christians are meant to partake in anyway. Now think about that for a second. Think about how much of our time, how much ink has been spilled, how many churches have been split on this issue. If you don't know the history of kind of the charismatic movement as it moved through the Catholic church and it has moved through the Protestant church. Now, am I casting stones at my brothers and sisters that believe in healing in tongues? No. But when we get things out of right emphasis, it is destructive to the church. Anything that causes the church to split and, and not glorify God, we've got to question. But he points out, that's not something that we're all supposed to be able to do anyway. That's not every person's gift. And he cites 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30. He says, we're more concerned about that than in the Spirit's ordinary work of giving peace, joy, hope, and love through the shedding abroad in our hearts of knowledge of the love of God. Now think about that for a second. How many of us long for peace? How many of us long to know that we are loved? How many of us, we just want joy. We want to wake up and, and, and take joy in the day for this is the day the Lord has made. Restore to me, remember what we read in Psalm 51, the psalmist is saying, restore to me the joy of my salvation. How many of us could pray that this morning because we, we're struggling to have joy in the salvation that has been given to us for any number of reasons. How many of us long for hope? If you're a parent, you or grandparent, hope is something that you long for. You, you so hope that your children will generationally carry on that which the, the Lord is doing covenantally in and through your family. And so these things are the things that the Spirit provides. These are the things that the Holy Spirit traffics in the most. And yet... We talk so little about them in reference to the Holy Spirit and his work. Packer goes on to say, yet the latter, being those things, is much more important than the former. 
So my hope is that we will lay a firm foundation, not that I'm, gonna be, I'm not going to give you the answer to is speaking in tongues and healing biblical. That doesn't occur this morning. My hope is that what you get is a firmer foundation of who the Holy Spirit's work is so that as you read the Bible, you will know. You will know what those things were intended to do and to whom they were to point and why they were so heightened in certain periods in redemptive history. So as we look at John 14 through 16, remember what Jesus is doing here. This is his last set of words to his disciples in the Gospel of John. John 13, he's just washed their feet and basically told them, hey, if you don't do what I have done for one another, then you have no part in me. If you remember, Peter, just like he does in Mark, shoots his mouth off and he's like, well, get all of me. And Jesus says, that's not how this works. And then he goes on to, in John 14, begin talking about the necessity for them to depend upon him and him alone and how their obedience for them to love him is to be obedient to him, to keep his commandments. And remember, there were two, two big ones. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the worship of the Lord, knowing who he is, that right creator-creature distinction. Secondly, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the, the living out of the gospel. That's the spreading of the gospel. Remember from Psalm 51, what was the point that David was calling for when he said, restore me for what purpose? What did Psalm 51 say? So that I could share it with others. So the whole purpose of our salvation, there is a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God through the sharing it with others. Now, again, I know that anytime I say that, especially here in the South, we automatically jump to evangel like, like hostile, militant, militarized evangelism. It's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me say that. What I'm talking about is, again, let's go back to last week's sermon for a second. You living out the resurrection in the spheres of influence where you are, being aware of what's going on around you because God has sovereignly placed you there and that how you live that out, both word and deed, displays this. So it's the living out of the gospel in light of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit in the hope of what is to come, right? So Jesus is saying, you obeying those commandments, that is you saying you love me. And that is the evidence, and you will evidence to the world who you are by the love you have for one another. In fact, as Francis Schaeffer says, basically Jesus turns and says to the world, you, you get to decide who my people are on the pragmatic level. Not ultimately, don't get that wrong, but he's essentially saying the world will be able to look and say, I think you're a Christian by the love that you show to one another. And how often have we gotten this twisted and not cared at all what we were displaying before the world because we had shut everything up and put our light under a bushel. And so Jesus is trying to show them that, in fact, me going is going to be much more important that, because you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit who can go and do things that I in my humanity cannot do. Because I in human form can't be at all places at all times. I in my human form cannot do what the, the third member of the Trinity can do for you. And so it's better that I go. And that's what we're going to see here in John 16 is he's going to give a fuller explication of that. And so if you would, give your attention to the reading of God's word. We'll look at John 16, 5 through 11. This is the gift of a sign and seal of God's redemptive promises fulfilled in the Holy Spirit. If you would... 
Hear God's word. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I want to pause right there for just a second and and kind of unpack this a little bit. Because if you've read John, you know that they have, in fact, asked him, hey, where are you going? You keep talking about leaving. Where is it you're going? And if you remember John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. But what he means here when he says, you, you haven't really asked where I'm going, is they're only asking it in reference to how it affects them. If you remember, all throughout, as Jesus has talked about his death, they've only been concerned with themselves. If you remember uh, Robbie's sermon from the Lord's Supper, when he, he says, hey, the one whom dips the bread at the same time as I will betray me. Were they concerned about Jesus being betrayed? Or were they more concerned about which one of us is it? They didn't, it, didn't, it didn't matter to them. And think about when he said he was going to die, how James and John were like, all right, if you're going, who's going to be in charge? Which one of us gets to run this thing? Let us sit at your right hand and, and your left hand. Let us, let us be the ones. Remember what he said. He said, you have no earthly idea or heavenly what you're asking for. And so what Jesus is saying to them here is, again, you're more concerned with you instead of how this story is unfolding and being completed, how prophecy, how the promises of God are actually being fulfilled. You're asking for the wrong reasons. You're asking essentially the wrong question. And he makes clear where he's going. If you remember from his prayer in John 17, he says, I'm going to return to the glory that was with me beforehand to sit at the right hand of the Father. And what does that mean? What does it mean to us that Jesus ascends and sits at the right hand of the Father? What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that God has received the person and work of Jesus Christ eternally on our behalf. It means that the Father is satisfied with the work of the Son. And that is applied to us, you remember. And for him to sit means what? When do you get to sit? When the work is done. And you may say, when he coming back? Yeah, he'll rise for that part. But for now, between the now and the not yet, the work is done. Justification is completed on behalf of the people of God. Now the spirit can be released so that sanctification can be set in motion for us. And we can grow in understanding what God has done for us in and through Christ. Remember, who sent Jesus? God did. This is critical in our culture. You may think that I overemphasize this, but in our culture, we oftentimes separate the God of the Old Testament who's angry with us, and Jesus has kind of just kind of stepped in and been like, all right, Dad, you're so over the top. Let's just calm down for a second. Let me, let me just step in and do some stuff, and we'll, we'll, everything will be cool. But that's not what Jesus does. Remember, God sent him because God loves his children because God wanted to ensure and make a way that we could return to his presence. This is critical for our understanding. If you don't, whenever you think of redemption, if God's presence doesn't come to your mind, you've got, you've got it wrong. It is critical that you always keep before you that the whole purpose of the redemptive story is for us to be restored to God 
not saved from him. This is why we can pray. Part of the work of Jesus was so that we could boldly come before the throne. And so when we don't pray, we're saying, I don't need the work of Christ. Thank you for dying for me and rising again. That was great. I'll take it from here. When we misunderstand the work of the Holy Spirit, we're saying the same thing. That we don't need his work applied to us. But for him to go back to his father means that we are, in fact, saved and saved eternally. That is critical to us. The ascension is something that we should seek to understand, especially after Easter. And he also says that him going is actually more for their benefit. He said, you guys are worried about you, but let me tell you what's better for you. It's better that I go. Because then that means that the promises are fulfilled and the Spirit will be released. To you. Now, I want to take just a moment to flip back into the Old Testament so that you see that the Spirit was promised long ago and that the coming of the Spirit evidences a shift in redemptive history. So if you would, if you're, if you're uh, deft of finger or, well, either way, whether it's digital or otherwise, uh, go to Isaiah 44 verses 1 through 5 and listen at what the prophet says about the coming Spirit. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit Upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants, they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. So the coming promise of redemption that Israel would have been looking for as a sign of that this, in fact, this person is the Messiah would be the release of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit would be poured out and that that the people of God would be drawn back. Now, if you know anything about Pentecost in Acts chapter two, that is exactly what happens. All of these folks from the diaspora hear the gospel being spoken in tongues Now, what kind of tongues? Their native tongue, not some angelic voice or some gobbledygook that they were spiritually kind of reconnoitered to understand. No, they got to hear their, in their heart language, in their home language, they got to hear the gospel for the first time. And you remember, thousands came to the Lord and the church exploded into being, was born that day. And another place that we're very familiar with, but we need to tie it, uh, back to this sermon is Ezekiel 36. This is an off-quoted passage, but we have to understand that it's, it's a promise actually about the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27 says this, I will take from you the nations, take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and, shall, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
So with the coming of the Spirit, we can actually do what Christ said is necessary for us to love him. You understand that? The coming of the Spirit finally grants us the ability to live in such a way that is pleasing unto the Lord. This is why Paul, in Romans chapter 8, makes it clear that those who walk in the Spirit walk unto life. Those who walk in the flesh walk unto death. He does the same thing in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I think I got it. And all of those things can only be accomplished in relationship, by the way. And so what the Spirit is doing is coming to equip us to be pleasing unto the Lord and to be a display of God's glory to the world, to be ambassadors of reconciliation as part of the larger redemptive story. We become the vehicle by which the kingdom is coming into being. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the finished work of Christ, this is what's being signaled. And so, with the coming of the Spirit is the evidence of the fulfillment of the redemptive promises of God. This is why we can refer to what we're in as the last days. These are the last days, right? Because every time we meet is one time closer to Jesus returning. Every time we have communion is one more table closer to dining with Christ himself. Every funeral is one funeral less before Christ returns. Everything is drawing us closer to him coming back to gather his people together and for us to finally dwell in the presence of the Lord. Our calendar has been changed. So, Jesus then transitions and makes clear what the Spirit will do in terms of the world. So give your attention again to the reading of God's word, John 16, verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, we need to unpack this a little bit. Notice who the Spirit is coming for. Who's he coming for? The world. Now, wait a minute. If you know anything about the language of John, who is the world? That's those outside the church. So the primary function of the Holy Spirit is missional. I know that's a much abused term, but we need to steal it back and, and, and realize what it is, which is the whole purpose of our existence. The church doesn't exist primarily for the comfort only of the saints. The church exists to display the glory of the, world, the Lord in a fallen world. We are to be outwardly focused, not purely inwardly focused. There is a both and here, but one's primary, the other's secondary. Any of the comfort that is for the saints is ultimately so that we could display missionally the glory of the Lord, right? So please understand that our primary calling is outward and that the inward aspects are to embolden us and to strengthen us and to build us up to go back out, always. So anytime that you talk about the Holy Spirit, the first thing you should think is that his coming is for the life of the world and it's missional. Now, he does three things primarily. The first is to convict the world of sin. Now, what's beautiful about Psalm 51 is Psalm 51 is really kind of an unfolding of these three things that were just spoken by the Spirit. The psalmist's first evidence is that he is a sinner. 
He gets it. The Spirit has moved in him to show him his transgression and that he sinned against God and God alone. But notice that the world doesn't think that's the problem, right? The world looks at us, our conversation on sin, and how does the world think, what do they think of us when we start using the term sin and talking about right and wrong? You guys are so antiquated. That is so like 1910. I don't, we don't even, like that is, the, that is so wrong. We at best, at worst actually, are neutral. And at best, we're all just trying to do what's best for us. And so it's anything goes, it's just a free-for-all. And so the world doesn't get that they have a problem. So the spirit, first and foremost, is to show us who in fact we are apart from Christ. That's the first work of the spirit, is to convict those who don't know who they are. God is creator, them is creature, them is separated from God and in need of a savior. If you, if you spend any time with those who don't believe and ask them, what do you need most? A savior is not going to be what they tell you. And it's definitely not gonna be Jesus. And think about how much of our culture looks at it and says, look, I'll grant you guys need Jesus because y'all are messed up but we don't need Jesus. And there's other ways, there's other things that, that can lead us into enlightenment or whatever it may be. So please understand that the Holy Spirit's primary work's mission is to convict the world of its need for a savior. Now, what does that display? Is the spirit coming just to punch the world in the face and to leave them feeling awful about themselves? Is this evangelism? No, the Spirit is coming because the Lord loves those who are out. Remember when we read 2 Peter 3 and it says that some say the Lord tarries, but no, he doesn't tarry, he's being patient because he longs for the family to grow bigger and bigger and we too should long for the family to get bigger and bigger and recognize that it takes the Holy Spirit to convict someone of their sin. You with all of the reasoned arguments in the world, cannot lead them there. They don't have a knowledge problem. They have a heart problem. So this is critical that we, as we love other people in the power of the Holy Spirit, recognize our limitations and how patient the Lord is and kind and how he, he is willing to wait. Judgment can come at any time. But what he first wants is for them to see they're broken and in need of a savior. The second thing that he does is he convicts them of righteousness, that God has sent Jesus and Jesus is in fact who he says he is and that there will remain a witness in the world, that it's not just that you have a problem in that you're a sinner in need of a savior, it's that you, you need your whole life transformed. And you, you need to actually uh, evidence the change. It's not just that you're a sinner, it's that you need to actually become righteous so that you can do something in this world that is lasting, so that in your uh, call to be missional in the power of the Holy Spirit, that things can actually change, that you would actually evidence something. And so the Spirit convicts not only of who we are and what our need is, but who we can become. And what Jesus did so that we could become and have his righteousness applied to us. And then the third thing that he convicts the world of is that Satan has been defeated. Again, this isn't Star Wars. 
This isn't light and dark in equal measure. This is not, it's not that it's better for the world that good and evil balances each other out. That's not good for that, that ebb and flow of history. There are many philosophers that talk of this ebb and flow of history that somehow is supposed to be good for the world. I, I don't know, if you lived in, in Syria right now, I'm just not sure you would think that was such a good thing. But you're being ground under the wheels of history, hate it for you, maybe it'll show up better on the other side. That's not, that's not at all what's, what's, what's being said here. No, the Spirit makes clear that you're broken in need of a Savior, that you need and can be genuinely changed and transformed in the righteousness of Christ, and Satan has been defeated. It's not up for grabs. You don't need to worry. Genesis 3.15 has been accomplished in Christ. Amen? So the promises of God have been fulfilled in the defeat of Satan. Now, please understand that for us as Christians, we walk in victory. Think of Paul's statement in Romans 8. What can anyone do to any one of us? Who can judge us? When Christ has been judged, he is victorious and we walk in his victory. How many of us are struggling to look at all like we are walking in any sort of victory at all? How many of us feel like Satan actually is maybe winning a little bit? That maybe God has turned us over and forgotten us. But the power of the Holy Spirit says resoundingly to all of those things, no, no, in Christ, those things have been accomplished. Regardless of what you feel, here's what is true. So understand that the Spirit's primary function is missional, to come for the life of the world, to show those who are in desperate need of knowing that God loves them and longs to be with them and that what he promised has in fact come true. That is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. And if we have any conversation about the Holy Spirit without that in view, I can just about guarantee you heresy is not far behind. And this is where we get way off course. Listen to what D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, says about this passage. He says, The many biblical promises that the Spirit will characterize in the age of the kingdom of God breed anticipation. So that means that all those Old Testament passages, and there are many that mention the Spirit, that should breed an anticipation in us, an expectancy. So every time that you either go out into the world or come into the church, you should come expectant because the Spirit will in fact do what God called him to do. His work cannot be thwarted even by our disbelief. What can be thwarted is our participation in it. But it should breed anticipation. He goes on. But the saving reign of God cannot be fully inaugurated until Jesus has died, risen from the dead, and been exalted to the Father's right hand return to the glory he enjoyed before the world began. So what he's saying there is that in order for the promises to be completely fulfilled, in order for the kingdom to be ushered in, Christ must depart and the spirit must come. Scripture speaks to that all throughout Old Testament and New. So let me ask you, what are some ways in which the Holy Spirit has comforted you, because I'm, I'm assuming if you're a believer, you should be comforted by who you really are, by who God really is, by who you can become, 
and the fact that Satan has been defeated, that should bring you great comfort. It should bring you great comfort to know that your failings do not have the final say. It should bring you great comfort that though Satan will thrash about in this world, he cannot make a final decision beyond the sovereignty of God. I know that raises a whole host of other questions. Trust me, I ask them all the time. But if the Spirit is who he says he is, and God is who he says he is, and the Spirit evidences what it says, in fact, he evidences, we have hope. So what are some of the ways in which the Holy Spirit has comforted you with God's fulfilled redemptive promises? How is it comforting to you to know that God has so clearly stated who you are and whose you are and what you can become? How comforting is that to you? And do you ever even meditate on it? Is it anything that you consider or ask for? And if you find yourself in a dry place and you're not finding comfort in those things, whom should you pray to? You should pray, Holy Spirit, would you, would you show me afresh? Would you restore to me the joy of my salvation in Christ, reminding me of these promises? Now, turning back to the text, we move to how the Spirit works in the life of the church. So remember, the first, the first order of business for the Spirit is missional. He comes for the life of the world to grow the family and make it bigger. And in the second piece, what we're gonna see is the instrument by which he works. He works in and through believers through the church. This is the gift of a guide to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord again, John 16, 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, if we were to step back into John 14 for just a second, we would see that, that Jesus makes it very clear that the, the world cannot see the Spirit. Right? And Paul has spoken to this in another place where he says, only that which is spiritual can speak to and see that which is spiritual. So there's a problem if the world cannot see the Spirit, then how will the world be saved? Well, how the world will see the Spirit is in and through us. The Spirit displays its gifts, God's glory, and all that is Christ in and through the church. Those who claim to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are the vehicle. Jesus says it as well. He says in John 15, 26, he says, the spirit will bear witness to me and so will you in him. So we are the means by which the world will know who God is and what the spirit has come to promise and do and who they become. So what does that mean is the focus and the primary calling of the church. We are called to be missional. In the power of the Holy Spirit, which is, should be very comforting to us, for those of you who are deathly afraid to share your faith with anyone else, again, remember, this is not about what you are going to verbalize, it's what you are going to live out, which also should be verbalized or explained. 
And it should occur within the spheres of influences that you already have because, again, God is sovereign. He's placed you where you are for a reason. Are you aware? Are you asking the question? Sometimes you are at a place because of great tragedy and there needs to be a voice that says, no, this tragedy does not have the final say. Sometimes you're in a a place where there's great celebration and you should say and be able to point to and say, yes, this is worthy of celebration, but there's something more worthy of greater celebration. And there's a God who has given this and we should make sure to honor and thank him. One of the things that I have loved about how the Spirit has moved in my time up here in Kennesaw is there's a Starbucks that I frequent on Sunday mornings. And so uh, people always assume I'm preparing for the sermon, but if if I haven't prepared for the sermon before Sunday morning, I kind of feel like we're in trouble. (laughs) Um, If we're kind of just scraping the barrel there a little bit. So I read other things. Um, and so there's a, there's a, a, a guy who comes in, um, he and I have befriended each other because he saw me reading a commentary on 1 Samuel. And as he walked up, he was like, hey man, who reads a commentary on 1 Samuel? Who are you and why are you doing that? And so we developed this friendship and it's been a beautiful thing to see um, how the Lord has used me in Silas's life and how Silas has been used in my life and what a blessing it is to have these kind of just divine encounters. So one of the things I pray Uh, and have been praying recently is every time I go to to a coffee shop, this Starbucks in particular on Sunday morning, is Lord, help me to be aware of who needs what. Help me just be aware. Let me not just stick my nose in a book and be utterly uninterested in who works here or who comes in here because it's a lot of the same people that come in there, he being one of them. And so uh, he came in this morning and um, we had this wonderful conversation about marriage and how marriage is, is really something that is to be cultivated and how God essentially in marriage grants us all this raw material just like he did Adam and Eve in the garden. It wasn't a finished work. It was something for them to work on and through and how just what a beautiful picture that is. And, and it was just, we, we got to rejoice in uh, and this morning, um, and, and, and just, just enjoying one another. And what a gift to be aware. Starbucks is, I don't hang out at that Starbucks a lot. It's just Sunday mornings. And how God will use even something as simple as that if you will ask the question. God, make me aware in these places because everybody, everybody needs a word from the Lord. Everybody needs encouragement in the gospel. They just do, don't we? And woe be unto us if we're quicker to get, be worried about getting out of here this morning than caring for those sitting near us. Woe be unto us if we are far more concerned with beating uh, the whoever's left, since I go as long as I do, to Piccadilly, um, and, and, and instead of being concerned about who needs prayer, who, who needs to be encouraged before I get out of here this morning. So it's even important for you to do that as you come here because this, you are a room full of people in need of the word of the Lord. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. And we need each other. We need to to evidence the glory of God to each other. So this is, again, it is both for inside and outside the church. And so how are we we asking, Lord, if, if the means by which the world will know who you are is through us in the power of the Holy Spirit, what are you asking? What are you at, how are you asking the Spirit to use you where you are? Again, I'm not asking you to add anything to your life other than awareness. 
I love in that song, Holy Spirit, that I know some of you aren't, some aren't crazy about, some aren't, we just don't have a whole lot of Holy Spirit songs we can sing. I'm sorry. Reformed people just kind of, we're, we're weird about that. So we had to go outside of our tradition. But I love the way it says, help us to become more aware of your presence. Is that an unbiblical thing to ask for? Even if we ask for it like 13 times in a row. <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm, what I'm calling for us to do is grow in our awareness where we already are because it is all around you. The need is all around you. And so here, what, God, what, what Jesus says to them is the Holy Spirit is going to guide you. And in John 14, 26, he unpacks that a little further. And he says he's going to teach uh, and bring to remembrance the words of Christ. And so what are the words of Christ? I have come to save you. I've, I've overcome the world. I have come to redeem and save that which was lost. Which, he argues, the entire Old Testament speaks to, by the way. And so, and so what, what the, one of the things that the Spirit does and how he guides us is in our understanding of Scripture. So when you break Scripture open, do you ask for the Spirit to give you enlightenment? Do you ask for the Spirit to show you how what you're reading is about Jesus and how it could be a comforting word to someone around you, even if you happen to find yourself in the book of Obadiah, which is a hard book to find comfort in, by the way, other than that God is just. So it's important that we recognize that the Spirit is what will guide us and give us what we need to say. We need not fear. We need not fear asking someone how they're doing. We need not fear saying that we're praying for them. I can't tell how many of you, if you're dealing with an unbeliever, you, you will ask me, should, should, I, should I tell them I'm praying for them? What else are you gonna tell them? I'm thinking about you. That gets weird. Tell him you're praying for him. Offer him scripture. Let the spirit do what he said he would do. Trust him to do what he said he would do. And guess what? Are some of them gonna say, get away from me. I don't want you, I don't ever hear that from you again. It's gonna get awkward sometimes. Yes, what does he say in the rest of John 16? And at the beginning of John 16, he says, you're gonna get, you're gonna catch it for my name's sake, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We spend so much of our time worried about what somebody else is gonna think about us and not worrying about what they're gonna think about God that we miss multitudes of opportunities. So fear not, church. In the power of the Holy Spirit, the words that you speak, that speak to the things of God, the things of Jesus, the Spirit can use and he will use. So how are we serving as the instru missional instruments that we were created to be in the power of the Holy Spirit? Again, if you're having a discussion about the Holy Spirit and you're not talking about his love for the world and his missional uh, equipping of the saints, you're very, very close to heresy. And so I would take it to, 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 to trust Jesus' words over the twistings of men and women. I'd be very careful of anyone who writes 600 pages on the Holy Spirit. I'd be very careful of anyone who writes volumes about the work of the Holy Spirit when there's not that much even in Scripture. Just be careful of what you introduce yourself to when they begin to speak of the Holy Spirit and pay attention. Are they speaking of the Spirit as missional, as loving the world? And equipping the church, or are they talking about something that makes you a super saint?
Anything that makes you more important than Jesus is heresy. Anything that you can control is not of the spirit. Like if you say, bro, I can speak in tongues like 11 o'clock every Sunday. That is patently unbiblical. Patently unbiblical. Regardless of what we believe about tongues overall. So if you think you can control the gifts of the spirit in your own strength or even the, the fruit of the spirit in your own strength, uh, my wife is not in here. She can tell you oftentimes my strivings to be kind and gentle turn into Thor's hammer. <laughs> I don't even like superhero stuff. Uh, and so, I mean, I get it, right? Um, and so I can't do it in my own strength. You can't do it in yours. And if you think you can control it, something is off. It's unbiblical and it's, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Listen to what Charles Simeon says. He says, all, all are to glorify Christ through the office of the Holy Spirit, and I love this, by a holy conversation, and are to take of his virtues and his graces and to exhibit them to the world. This is one end of their calling, namely to show forth the virtues of him that hath called them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. All are to shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life in their own conduct so that all may read it, yea, all may be compelled to read it as, listen, transcribed in their lives. People ought to be able to look on you and read some measure of the truth of the gospel. People ought to be able to see your deeds. Now, here's where we get off base. We think that that means we've got to be perfect. No. In fact, some of the times where, especially when I was in the working world, where the greatest opportunity for the sharing of the gospel was when I had shown a part of me I shouldn't have shown, metaphorically, and then had to apologize and show kindness and weakness and forgiveness and seeking of restoration. So us trying to be perfect actually ruins one of the greatest avenues of the gospel, which is your failings. So take heart, church. The Spirit uses it all. You need not go around worrying about your, your perfection. Instead, take heart in the work of the Holy Spirit to use every morsel of what you offer up, no matter how small and no matter how large. And that that will help you to grow in your understanding and appreciation of the fulfilled promises and presence of the Lord. Remember the Spirit's purpose. And what I hope that you see here at the end of John 16 is the, the, uh, the consistency within the Trinity itself. The Spirit speaks of what is of Christ. Christ has received all from the Father, and that is what the Spirit speaks of. The Spirit, in all of his power, doesn't go off script ever. So that's why it's critical for us to make sure that when we speak of the Spirit, it is on script and not off in the weeds somewhere, hoping for an experience when you've received the greatest experience of all, your redemption. So what are some ways in which the Holy Spirit guides you in living out the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ? Now, some of you get very uncomfortable when somebody says, I heard the Lord say. You're like, I don't, I don't ever hear nothing. 
I can't fix that this morning. We don't have time. And so, but what I will say is this, is that anything that you think is from the Spirit, a couple of things ought to be true of it. One, it ought always line up with Scripture. It ought not be in some kind of murky backwater or one-off passage. Two, if it's from the Spirit, you ought to be able to share it with the world. I can't tell you how many times when someone leaves the church, they want to leave the church having no conversation, but they'll say these words as they depart. The Spirit is calling us elsewhere. If the Spirit's calling you somewhere, let's, let's pray for you, let's celebrate. I'll do it every time. Even if I'm kind of going, I don't know if the Spirit's calling you that, but okay, I'm not the Spirit. But we don't, it's always interesting to me that we'll cite the Holy Spirit instead of as an opportunity for discussion, which it ought be, right? We shouldn't be afraid of what someone's going to say if the Spirit's at work in it. It ought to be biblical and clear and clean. But instead, we oftentimes use it as the keeping everyone else at arm's length. You can't say anything to me because the Spirit has spoken. <laughs> Quite the opposite. So when we do find ourselves being guided by the Holy Spirit, may it be to the glory of Christ, for the life of the world, according to his promises and evidencing the presence of God to be celebrated by the church as a whole. So the two things that we learn from this passage is one, the Holy Spirit is a gift from God signifying the fulfillment of his redemptive promises in Christ. Critical, critical. Two, that the Holy Spirit primarily guides God's people in living out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the life of the world, not for the life of the church only. So one of the things that we'll be emphasizing next ministry year is being missional. Now, we will not do it at the negation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will not do it at the negation of the love of God. We will not do it uh, to the positive uh, aspirations of perfection. No, we will hopefully have that discussion in the power of the Holy Spirit because this year, the emphasis, if you haven't been with us, has been prayer. Prayer ought to always precede mission. If we're not a prayerful people to go and try to be missionals, to just waste our time. So my hope is that this sermon will prove foundational for that understanding, that the Holy Spirit is absolutely critical. We should mention him. We should not be afraid of him. Uh, he doesn't make you wind up with your shirt untucked and lose three or four hours. That's just, I don't, that's not, that doesn't happen in the Bible. I don't know where that comes from. But there are people who celebrate that. Like, that's how they know the Spirit showed up. I had a guy that I treated one time who was a pastor in Hawkinsville, Georgia, he actually asked me to come preach at his church, and I said, no, nah, I don't want to wake up three hours later with my shirt untucked. Um, but that's what he said. That's how he knew the Spirit had shown up. He woke up 50 feet from where he'd started. Shirt was untucked. Who knows what happened? Is that? I, I'm sorry. I, and I love the guy. The guy seemed to love God. But on that, on that, something was off. And the Lord gave us opportunity to have that conversation. I'm not sure of the impact it had. I never went and preached and found out. So, but let us, let us always seek to be biblical in our understanding of the Holy Spirit. Let us not fear him because he was given to us as gift. For us to fear his work, for us to not enjoy him is to say to Christ, thanks but no thanks. And I don't think we should do that. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for the finished work of Christ so that the Spirit could come. Thank you that the Spirit is still very active in this world, convicting the world of their sin as they have rejected Christ as Savior and rejected their own sinfulness. Convicting the world of righteousness because Christ is in fact who he said he is and that, that means that we can become who he said we could become in him, righteous as he is righteous, to stand boldly before the throne of God to receive all that we need. And God, he also convicts the world against the judgment of Satan, the one who's been defeated. The darkness shall not have the final say. That means that we can live in freedom and spirit and truth and that we as the church can display your glory as guided and taught by the Holy Spirit. Help us to break out the good things that you have always. May we break them out in our worship services. May we break out the good things of you where we work, where we live, where we play, where we serve. God, help us. Help us to appreciate the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that the, that the Holy Spirit would fill us. Fill us with joy. Fill us with peace. Fill us with hope. Fill us with kindness and gentleness and love. God, may we taste of the fruit of your spirit this morning for the life of the world and for your glory in the world, for the love of our neighbor. In Christ's name, amen.